super super excited for this episode uh we'll be talking about sexuality and gender um yeah i was going to open up this episode with a song let's talk about sex baby all the good <laughs> things and the Get things it. happening let's talk yes. about it, it, it. okay 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 now that we've, we've sang our introduction, we have a, a special guest. So what I, what we're going to do is we're going to introduce ourselves as usual, and we'll have our guest introduce himself. So I'm Ife. Hi, I'm Amayola. Hi, everyone. This is Ife. Hey, guys. This is Yeka O. Hi, this is Kiguro. I am the special guest. Yay! <laughs> welcome, welcome. Keguro, can you tell us about yourself? Um, what do you do? I feel like I'm stealing another round's tag, but really, it's an important question. What do you do and why? Um, your background, yeah. What do I do? Um, so I, I'm, I'm from Nairobi. I, I live in Nairobi, and that's important. I used to be an academic. And, and, and I had a real job, which had a salary and, you know, benefits. Um, and then I quit and, and I became very famous online for quitting. Oh, wow. Um, and then I moved back to Kenya. So I worked in the States. I moved back to Kenya. And the last few years, I've been back for about, oh, this is the fourth year now. I've been trying to um, think about freedom and think about the imagination um, which which is not really a day job. It doesn't pay, uh, but but I think it's necessary. So part of what I do is I I think and I try to think publicly. So I'm mostly on Twitter all day, mm-hmm. every day almost. That's how I found you. Yes, um, and I blog sometimes, and occasionally I'll do some lecturey type things if I'm invited somewhere. Okay. Oh, I feel like your career trajectory is a different episode on its own because it sounds so <laughs> You know, it's like, oh my goodness, there are so many things I want to learn from you. But let's start out with the cocoa of the matter, meaning the reason why we're here. <clears throat> so we are here to talk about sexuality and gender um, as it relates to Africans and African history and culture. And I want to ask us, the first question I want to ask us is, what has informed your ideas about sexuality and gender? Uh, when did you first become aware of those concepts? So this question is to everybody. What do you, okay, first of all, maybe I should reverse. What's, what is sexuality and gender to you? What has informed your ideas about sexuality and gender? And when did you become first aware of those concepts? I want to like Kegura go last because I feel like he has a more, you know, he's an academic now, so he's going to just, you know, scatter our brains with all the books. But you know, for us lay people, let's let's. What, what are your thoughts? Um, does everybody get the question? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Okay. So this is okay. Go ahead, Anika. No, no, if you go right ahead. 
I said you should go ahead. Go ahead. <laughs> wow, <man. laughs> Mom, <laughs> why I will not be bullied. <laughs> I didn't want to do the whole back and forth. Whoever said go ahead first, I think that's the rule now. Wow. Okay. Starting today. Anyways, okay. So hey guys, Yeka over here, um, and I'm gonna be very, very honest about about this. Um, so the idea of gender for me is the biological what you're born as. Um, so that's gender to me. Um, now the concept of sexuality is the one that I kind of struggle with defining. Um, and so I'm going to take the easy way out and pass on that one and let the experts kind of help out there. Um, because I, it, it, the term confuses me, I'm not going to lie. Um, and then what informed my idea of gender and sexuality, I think for me, um, would be biology I mean you guys know I'm a biologist so that um faith um and and culture so growing up um as a Nigerian woman um you know what what is defined as um I guess gender what's female and what's male um definitely has or my perception initially had a lot to do with how I was raised. So, you know, you hear people saying um, the way we raise Nigerian women um, to have certain roles or to reflect certain ideas. Um, So, yeah, those would be the three things I think for me that kind of um, form my idea on gender and sexuality. This is Ife Yawas, Ife, whichever, depending on my mood. Um, So... (laughs) For me, my current understanding of, well, first of all, I should start off by saying that I'm going to be 27 soon. And so over the last almost 27 years of my life, my understanding of sexuality and gender has shifted. Mm-hmm. Um, and my current yeah. understanding of sexuality and gender has definitely been influenced by my lived experience in the U.S., um, and I came to the U.S. about seven years ago for college. And I went to a liberal arts college that is also a women's college. That being said, um, I was in a campus that um, had a lot of opinions on sexuality and gender. And those things definitely shaped my understanding. So right now, and I'm not an authority on this, but right now I believe my understanding of sexuality has to do with um, the notion that one gets to decide, you know, who or what you're, you know, that person is attracted to and is based on physicality. And while gender has to do with, it's not necessarily biological and more about identity. So that's my loose understanding of those terms. And like I said, my career understanding definitely influenced by my experience in the States and my experience in the, an American college um, that was that is pretty liberal and is a women's college. So that being said, my earlier understanding of sexuality and gender um was definitely shaped and defined by growing up in Nigeria, which is very conservative, um, growing up in a Christian household, um, and 
yeah, culture, cultural expectations, societal expectations. So those things definitely shaped my early understandings and still somewhat remains with me even now because it's hard to unlearn certain things. Um, and then I first became aware of sexuality and gender. I want to say when I got to college because part, well, okay, let me not put too much weight on my college experience because I mean, I want to say maybe boarding school, that's when awareness of sexuality and gender and all those questions start coming up. And I also went to an all girls boarding school. So being in that situation, there were definitely some unconscious, subconscious explorations of sexuality that happened in boarding school, Mm -hmm. um, either to myself or to other people. So there's definitely some of that. And also at primary school level, too, there's still still some of that exploration. I think gender is what I would say came later in Mm. college, where (laughs) sexuality definitely... um, I started thinking about those things, probably primary school, um, through interactions with other people. So I will stop my long spiel (laughs) and rambling here. This is Ifes. So my understanding of sexuality and gender very much has parallels with Onyeka and Ifeiwa's. Um, we have we have similar backgrounds. I also went to an all girls school. I um, also went to a women's college, and those have shaped my understanding of sexuality and gender. I I'd also say that um, recalling secondary school, for example, they were like we went to an all girls boarding school. There were like some relationships. They were like. Yeah. it's so weird it, it's weird in the sense that there were some like relationships that that mirrored coupledoms like couples that were kind of accepted in a way mm. so there was like mm-hmm. a more butch girl with a more femme girl and like we called them you know those are their best friends and you know it's very possible that they were just best friends and it, it was platonic but there were these like couple doms if you will that existed and without any like really without any interrogation or without any side eye if you will but when mm-hmm. but when like such relationships were known to be sexual then all hell broke loose you know like mm-hmm. um, there were some times where you know two girls would be caught like you know, i don't know maybe kissing or cuddling or you know yeah. sexually involved and like the whole dorms would just like start shouting and so so it was understood that like gender was kind of maybe not malleable but like gender was a little more fluid than sexuality so like sexuality in terms of um heterosexuality was the norm and was the acceptable standard like you know no deviation was really tolerated from it maybe like you know some maybe some coy um what's this word i'm looking for some coy winks to like non-heteronormativity were like tolerated but as when once it became blatant like oh this is like we are romantically involved it was like no um yeah, so that's 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 like my growing understanding of sexuality and gender. And like if you know, my my understanding has definitely evolved through the years because I also went to a liberal arts women's college and you know, I took a women's women's studies gender studies class and all of that has informed my thoughts and conceptualization of sex and gender. And in in terms of the definition, what my understanding of sexuality is is who you're attracted to. So the kinds of people you're attracted to. 
and um, gender is how you present yourself. So I think somebody said, I can't remember who said this, but somebody said gender is drag. Like everybody is wearing drag. So essentially you are performing, (laughs) everybody's performing a gender. Um, So, yeah. Hey everyone, this is Amayo. Um, So similar to Onika, I think gender for me um, has been, you know, what you're born as. Um, and I haven't, so I didn't really give much thought to gender and sexuality. Obviously in primary school, I didn't know anything. It's something that I never questioned then. It's like, okay, you're a man, you're a woman, the man will love the woman and you know, the rest is history. Secondary school was, I guess, when I gave, or I started thinking about sexuality because, you know, people start being in relationships and all that stuff. Um, and then gender still wasn't questioned until university. When I came to, the, when I went to the States, obviously that exposure to a different culture, um, a more liberal culture. Um, so yeah, so gender for me is, you know, the like, male or female, what you are born as. Or I guess, like if I said, what you identify as, and then sexuality is more of feelings and like who you are attracted to and what that relationship is about. Yeah. Okay. Um. I, I, let me say I have no book to give because <laughs> I just don't. I I, I think I'd, I'd say about. I'll make a list of things, you know, African uncle. Huh? Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, so, so I, I guess when I was listening, the first thing that struck me is I don't think I heard the word sexuality or gender when I was growing up. Mm-hmm. Like they actually were not words, you know, mm-hmm. we had um, boyfriends and girlfriends. We had relationships. We had the person you had a crush on. We had, um, yes, boys and girls, but, but, but it wasn't a thing. And part of what I'm trying to get to is that sexuality and gender are, in some ways, very technical words. Mm-hmm. You know, these are words we, we learn, at least for me, I learned at university. And then we, sometimes we try to, we, we then reevaluate our histories, right? Yeah. yeah. And, and then we say, oh, when I was five, I was told this. And when I was seven, I was told this. And when I was nine, I was told this. But they're actually words we learn later on. And, and the way we learn them is as questions that can be asked. Yeah. So I think um, my sense of sexuality and gender is that those are words that are questions. And they're quest- they words that ask us to look back into our histories and our upbringing and, you know, whether you went to a boarding school, I did also a single sex one, um, or whether you went to church, which I did, I was very religious, um, or whether you played a sport or whether you did. So there are questions that I think ask for a story, you know? So, uh, so I, I try not to approach them these days anyway, right? You know, I, I can do the, the fancy theory stuff. Or I, I don't really want to. Um, so I approach them as what is the story you're being asked to tell about yourself? When someone says gender, what is the story you're being asked for? Um, how is that story being narrated by you and for you? 
Um, when he says sexuality, what is the story you're being asked for? How is that story being narrated by you and for you? Because I think it's important to think about things like gender and sexuality as stories, right? Which, which, which have a, a beginning, a middle and an end. And the beginning is, you know, you're born and then somewhere, I don't know, you have a crush on someone and then maybe you get married, maybe you don't. Um, and then maybe you produce, maybe you don't. And then, and then you die. So, well, you know, so it's that. So I think gender and sexuality are about our questions about how you're going to live that story. Mm. And I think where they become interesting for me is when other stories are available or possible mm. so that we are then stopped. We are stopped at that moment of saying, oh, wait, I'm not living according to this story. So so what am I doing? What's going on? What And that, I think, is, is part of, if I were to narrate my own intellectual work or intellectual coming to think about this, that would be what happened, that I had this story I grew up with. Mm-hmm. Um, I was going to get married and adopt many children. And then one day I was like, oh, wait, this isn't happening. What's happening? What's going on? And I, I had to ask what other stories were available. Uh, quick, quick question for you then. Um, so if we're... Yeka, over here, by the way. If yeah. we're um, answering the questions of gender and sexuality, depending on the question or, or what people are asking, doesn't that then mean that depending on um, the person who's asking, then the idea or the concept of gender and sexuality will then change? I, I think so. I think so. Um, b- because I think... You know, so when people are talking about being gay or lesbian and coming out, often that's about the kind of story about yourself that you'll tell. So that the story you'll tell to, taking very practical examples, the story you'll tell to your grandmother, for instance, or, or, your, or your aunt who loves you very much, is not, I have feelings for, right? It will sort of be like, yeah, you know, I'm not getting married right now. It's just not the right time. You know what I mean? Whereas the story that you might tell when you're at a bar and you're hitting on someone is, yeah, let's go home now because I watch Insecure and I want to be your Issa, you know, <laughs> let me be your Issa, right? That's <laughs> um, so, so, yes. So, so I think we are always, and, and, and this I think is regardless of, of, of your gender and sexuality. I think we are always playing with those, right? Wow. So, so especially if you're a woman, I, I know in Africa, at least in Kenya, if you're in your mid-twenties, by the time you hit your late-twenties, your relatives are giving you side-eye. And they're going, where? it's either where's the husband or uh, increasingly where are the children? Mm-hmm. And sometimes that is right. like, you don't need a husband, I want grandchildren, you know? Mm-hmm. So you're being asked about a certain story. You're being asked to... So even the story changes, right? Mm-hmm. Where, where I've seen very religious parents look at their children and say, look, I want a grandchild. Mm-hmm. I don't care if you're married or not. I just want a grandchild. Mm-hmm. So that, so that it's a very dynamic kind of thing. And, and I think that's really important just to think about, again, these stories are different and they're very dynamic. They're very, very dynamic. That's so interesting. Um, so a little backstory. When I first reached out to Kekuro, like the, the concept of this topic was going to be exploring uh, African sexuality and gender in pre-colonial era so i reached out to kegurin who was like well i'm not you know he like gave me a read that was very informative <laughs> and his, he was like you know he's not really interested in like the term pre-colonial 
pre-colonial Africa. He's more interested in um let me actually should I read let me should I read the email? Okay, girl, you might <laughs> but... Yes, you can read the email. <laughs> okay. He's like, like I'm proud of it. Yeah. <laughs> so so he said, um I'm gonna I'm gonna paraphrase and he said, um I think that framing I think that framing, framing being uh sex and sexuality in pre-colonial Africa imposes an understanding taken from European taxonomy and sexology. Oh. And it impedes what I think are more useful questions. So his more useful questions that he, he is telling us to consider are how did Africans understand and practice erotics? Oh. Um, second question, what resources can we draw on from the past for current struggle? So let me, let me, add, let's, let's answer that question. So how Keguro give was very kind enough to give us some reading material. And next question is how did Africans understand and practice erotics? What did you guys think of that um, paper by um, Dr. Inkiru Nzegu from Nigeria, who uh, works in a school in Buffalo, I think New York. Is it Buffalo? Somewhere in New York, somewhere upstate New York. Somewhere in New York, right. <laughs> So I'll repeat the question. How did Africans understand and practice erotics? And why is that important, I guess? Yeka, hmm. um, over here. And so based off of that really interesting read, um, it seems as though the, the idea that she's portraying, and correct me if I'm wrong, is that Africans viewed erotics in this sense of pleasure as being a, mutu- a mutually enjoyable experience. Um, whereas, you know, from the Western perspective, it was more male dominated. And so the African experience is one where both the male and the female, um, enjoy pleasure. Um, and the woman wasn't looked as being subordinate or supposed to be, um, I guess, act, act as a supporting role in, in, in the consummation. Um, so yeah. I, I mean... Based on, based on that bit that Onyeka just, sorry, this is Amayo. So based on what Onyeka just said, it's just hard for me to imagine, well, maybe because, like in a Nigerian context, trying to imagine a Nigerian society that wasn't as patriarchal as, like, what we know it as, or even, like, from how things were years ago. So to imagine... In Nigerian society, where you know they believe in, you know, both the male and the uh, the woman and the man having like equal sexual pleasure and all that, it's just hard to imagine. <laughs> I don't know because I just just feel like it's such a male-dominated culture. I don't know when that bit was erased. If that makes sense. Can I, can I interject there? Because I, th- I think yes, that's a really important question um, when we are talking about when was that erased, mm-hmm. right? Mm-hmm. Um, because, you know, when I, when I read Kirin Zegu and, and a few other people, part of my question was how, how come? Like, it, it, it was re- it, like for, for me, it was also very difficult to imagine. Because mm-hmm. yeah. um, I'm sort of like, because I look around at, at, you know, at the the mess everywhere yeah. and and i think to myself but it, it wasn't always this way which means right. it doesn't have to be this way yeah. um so so i think that that for me is, is is really really key that that as we are looking at the past and seeing what resources are there 
we also ask, what happened to make this unimaginable for us today? Yeah. And, and what kind of work do we have to do? Because it's not just about feeding our knowledge. It's also about yep. building, building our imaginations so that we can reclaim what is useful. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. And this is, if anyone, I just wanted to answer in part Amaya's question, because I thought the same thing, but I could also visualize, because you can have certain aspects of culture that are patriarchal, right? Like mm-hmm. when it, I don't, and this is, I wasn't there, so I don't know. But I can, you know, I can imagine where, like, when it comes to the bedroom, this is how it goes down. And I don't know, maybe a situation where, I, when it comes to other gender roles like cooking and all of that, you know, women do this, and when it comes to, I don't know, farming, men do this and that. But when it comes to the bedroom. We are on the same level. So when I thought about it in that way, it made it easier for me to um, to consider it as a possible reality. And I was like, okay, maybe when it came to, you know, getting it down, getting it going, you know, both, both parties are on equal level. That being said, um, if I were you, the question you asked about how it was practiced, I thought it was interesting that Dr. Nzegu mentioned that about sensuality and, mm-hmm. you know, erotics essentially being necessary slash mm-hmm. important mm-hmm. and yeah. being, being normal. And that is something that growing up primarily because of how heavily religion plays just influences the lives of Nigerians and I'm speaking to Nigerians because that's what I know I'm speaking mm-hmm. to my particular life because of how that you know it wasn't we don't talk about these things you know yeah. if, if it happens it happens you don't date and then when you're in your 20s your family is like where's the man where are the twins like, <laughs> it's not magic mm-hmm. so uh, reading that it's like just I I don't know. I don't say I wish I had read something like this earlier, but I will say that nothing, I had never heard anything so bold uh-huh. when I was growing up that this is normal. This desires, this, you know, sensuality, sexuality, all of that is normal and it's important. So reading mm-hmm. that in, in the article I was like, good to know. Because that is how <laughs> children are born. <laughs> you, you know, it's a yeah. very necessary ingredient. You can't have a Ogbono soup without Ogbono. So, my sorry, God. Sorry. <laughs> you can't have mashed potatoes without potatoes. You better you go uh, over here real quick. And, you know, Amaya's question about how did it get erased? And it just has me coming back when I was reading. I was just like, wow, this is crazy. Like if there wasn't someone um, who decided to do research, who decided to devote their life to, you know, intellectual reasoning, like would we know this information? So the role of like research and, you know, academics to some, to some degree, like I, 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 I think now of like maybe 50 years from now, 
You know, are there people who are documenting information that I want my kids and my grandkids to know the answers to? Um, so just very, like, it was kind of like for me a push to be like, get a girl, go be a researcher, get your life. And, you know, yeah, just the importance of, of research and critical thinking. Yeah, for real, for real. Um, yeah, so this is Ife. For me, what the things, the themes that struck me about African sexual, sensuality and sexuality is how it was shaped like there was no shame she really emphasized uh-uh. like the fact that it was there was no shame it was open and 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 the fact that it wasn't just focused on um like singular pleasure like you guys have alluded to it's it's mutual pleasure and the fact that that pleasure incorporated like love and and sexual desire and like romantic love and like you know so it it, it yeah it was so wonderful to read how our ancestors loved each other and you know how they loved and how it was integral to like the community building if you will so i think there's i I made a lot of highlights i don't know if i can find my highlights um that i made but um there's one i'll paraphrase and she says like the act of copulation activates the force of change transformation and growth and produces social harmony and stability. Harmony is built through intimacy and bonding. So like the fact that, you know, it wasn't just sex, you know, yeah. it was more than sex. It was like, this is how we relate to each other. This is how relationships are formed, uh, are grown. This is how, yeah. So, yeah. Which makes sense. Because I feel like coming to the US, one thing that I experienced as culture shock is just how... A, how in how, how much emphasis is placed on individuality in the states, and mm-hmm. also hmm, this hypo I don't know expressionism if that's even a word, but like I feel like as Nigerians and people I grew up around, like the way we worship, the way we celebrate, it's very expressive and it's very. Mm-hmm. It's very intense. <laughs> um, so it makes sense that that's what you were saying about uh, sensuality and intimacy and just how we're big on communal ways of doing things. And I can see how that can play out. Um, yeah. yeah. Um, can, I, can I go back to the, um, just to the question about doing research? Mm-hmm. Because I think part of what's so interesting for me about that article and similar articles being written like that is who they take seriously as people Mm. who have knowledge, Mm -hmm. right? So this isn't a grant from name your fellowship body to go study development um, or to go study economics or to go study corruption or to go study HIV AIDS or to go study Mm -hmm. Ebola, right? It's not to study these things that are, Like, I think there's a list of things people think Africans should study. Mm -hmm. And it's like development Mm -hmm. and economics and disease. Mm -hmm. (laughs) I mean, it's true. That's where all the money goes. I mean, if you study development, economics or disease, you'll get a fellowship, right? Mm -hmm. Um, And so so part of what I I like about about the method of that article and and similar work is, you know, know, they just go and talk to the women. They just do. They go and talk to the women who are just sitting there and they're sort of like, hey, so let's talk about sex. And it's not, it's not, it's not 
experts. It's not necessarily, you know, the psychologists and the whoever, whoever's, right? Mm-hmm. And I really like that idea that, 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 that very useful African knowledge is found when we um, refuse to do a certain kind of elite work, mm-hmm. when, we, when we refuse a certain kind of, the only people I can talk to are the ones with PhDs or the ones mm-hmm. with, you know, degrees. Mm-hmm. So, so that part of, a, part of what I think our discussions about intimacy and sexuality and also community have to be about um, and have to be with are with the people who are doing those things, right? Which means if you're talking about community, talk to the person who makes the tea, what, you know, talk to the person who sweeps the floor, talk to the person who arranges the chairs or arranges the flowers if, if you're in a church, right? Because they will tell you something about community. They will tell you something about this is what is valuable. This is what I see. This is what I live. And, and I think if we're going to be real, real, as opposed to being, you know, big ideas people, then real, real is, is you know, my friend Wamboi Mwangi says, you have to start where you're standing, there where you are. Um, and I think that's really, really important for, for, for gender, sexuality, intimacy, community, politics, and freedom. You have to start where you are. Amaya, do you have any thoughts? Um, I guess my addition, I will add to what Ifeniwa said about how, you know, like growing up, nobody really spoke to, or no, like, no, people treat sexuality as some sort of taboo when you're growing up. Meanwhile, I mean, if if you don't, if you don't talk to people in the right way about these things, they will learn about them through other means and not exactly in the way that they should learn about them. So like reading the article where, and there was a part where she said something about how the women were raised, um, like they were taught in schools about sexuality and like even before puberty, they were brought into this world of, okay, how to treat your spouse and, you know, the importance of, like sexual intercourse, conception, childbearing, and how sex plays a huge part in all of these things. And not just women, like men and women. So it's just, I mean, it's amazing really how it was then and how it is now. And and I kind of see things going back to that point. I feel like all of us who grew up with our parents not really discussing sex, like, like clearly and at the I guess at the right time we're we're all seeing how that affected us or how that affects us in different ways and we don't want our children to go through the same thing so I see more people you know going back to okay let's talk to our children about sex and let's educate them and let them know what it's for how exactly it works you know how babies are made and all that because it prepares, it prepares you. Like you don't want to be in a situation, where, in a situation where you don't even know. Okay, like how does this work? And my mom told me that oh, if a boy touches me, I become pregnant. Like, yeah. <laughs> clearly, <Yeah>. no. <laughs> and like the yeah, talking about like the community sex schools and how education about sexuality was such a big part of our you know our ancestors' lives and how 
yeah and like learning about your body so it's not even only about like your partner's pleasure and stuff it's also like mm-hmm. about like your body this is you know mm-hmm. how your body is changing this is what your body does mm-hmm. and all of those things and speaking about education and you know learning things from the wrong places how do yeah. you think the western influence has shaped how we currently understand african sexuality like you know we've kind of touched about touched on it in different ways through all the questions that we've answered so far but tackling that head on how do you think because you talked about how 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 was it erased if you will so you know mm-hmm. yeah i know earlier early on in the article she talked about how you know like with um cosmo like moving towards cosmopolitanism cosmo i think that's the word um like how you know male dominance and sexual um intercourse or sexual relations has been introduced pornography um just so many different things that have been introduced from western culture that have now um infiltrated our culture and have become the norm um which uh, i mean <laughs> it's just interesting like just how things are so different um like there was a list of things that she um mentioned i'll have to go back so maybe come back to me can, can i can i say something very quickly yes, um please. so so part of what i find both interesting and weird about about the western culture question mm is I think they're very different people located in very different spaces, right? Uh-huh. So if you are in school or, or went to school in the US or the UK or whatever, your experience of, of, of what Western culture means um, is actually quite different from someone who didn't. If you attended school in the city or you're from the city, depending on your various countries, um, various African countries, let me say, your experience of, of what Western culture is, is, is actually quite, quite different, you know? Um, if most of your growing up experience was, um, in, in, in most a rural place, um, and I think at this point, something like 70% of Kenya's population still lives in the rural areas. That thing that people like to call Western culture, it, it's kind of there, but, but it's not. I wouldn't say it's the dominant force in many ways, right? So I think we need to be really careful um, to specify kind of where we are talking from, right? So I grew up in Nairobi. It's 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 Kenya's major city. Um, you know, all my schooling was in English. My models were, you know, I read Enid Blyton, you know. <laughs> um, uh, I read Hardy Boys, I read Nancy Drew. So, so I had a very, um, in some ways, something that would be called westernized. But I also want to be really careful about saying that because one of the things we know just from the music coming from Africa mm-hmm. is that African hip-hop does not sound like New York hip-hop, mm-hmm. right? African reggae does not necessarily sound like Jamaican reggae. So, so, it's, it, so I think it's not necessarily a question of the West being imposed. I think it's, um, it's what, what's the, if you think about the West as a kind of, of flavor or spice, right. That is introduced into something called Africa. Um, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm playing, I, I like food. So, you know, <laughs> um, 
So I think the question is, how does that change the flavor of the food? How does that change the texture of it? But then we know that it will not change the food completely, right? Your meat will still be meat. Your um, ugali, we say ugali here, will still be ugali. Your jollof rice, I am not getting to that debate. <laughs> good, um, good, that's great. You're smart. It will still, it will, it will still be jollof rice, right? But you might have something, you know, maybe someone cooks it using olive oil. I don't know. I don't know. I'm just saying. Jamie Oliver. I'm just saying. So, so yeah. So I want to be careful about not making Western culture this, this blanket that just lands on top and we are somehow all under it. Because I think that there are, you know, we take things, we borrow things, we change them, we shift them, we adapt them, we destroy them, we deform them. Um, so, you know, I, I, I just, every time I hear Western culture imposed on Africa, my, my skin itches a little mm-hmm. and I, and I'm just <laughs> sort of like, okay, let's, let's actually talk about what we mean, right? Yeah. Cause, you know. I have a question though. Um, so Keguro, what would you say about the influence of colonialism then? Like where things were actually imposed? You know, people come in and say, okay, this isn't the way to do it. This is the way to do it. And so I, I Oh God, that's a big question. Yeah, not simple <laughs> questions today. Okay. Um, so one of the things we know from, from history and from reading is that there are different models of colonialism across Africa, right? So what the French did is not what the Italians did, is not what the British did. And even what the British did, you know, so Kenya was a settler colonial, so settler colonialism, like the British wanted to stay here. Um, some did, right? Um, Nigeria wasn't. Um, the British, it wasn't supposed to be settler colonialism. So that some of what we get that lingers and that affects us is often legal structures, right? So the laws, the structure of the administration, the, um, of course, language, right? And, and many, many things. But I think, you know, and part of the reason I think about rural areas is because that did not work the same way everywhere. So, and even with Nigeria's example, you know, we talk about the North and the South. We talk about what happened with the more Christian regions, what happened with the more Muslim regions, right? That, that's a really good example, I think, which is to say that colonialism was uneven. Um, it worked in different places everywhere. We are still living with its structures and its logics and its practices, which, you know, we must destroy in the cause of freedom. Um, but I want to be really careful not to make it the big bad that 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 we cannot think beyond mm, mm. if that makes sense snaps for that i really like that that phrasing the big bad that we cannot think beyond that's that's good that's a helpful way of thinking about it okay so if we move away from talking about sorry did anybody else have anything else to say about you know western influence and how it might have shaped African sexuality. Um, take it over here. And, you know, in an attempt not to make a blanket statement. Um, no, make it. That's okay. We I like think... blankets. It's cold in Kenya. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm thinking through this as I talk. Um, I think there's also this idea, and we talk about this a lot of the episode, of Western is better. Mm. Um so much so that even through learning sometimes, um, 
we willingly accept certain things because we assume that the Western perspective is the better perspective. Um, and, you know, that's not everybody, but I think to some degree that that plays a certain level. If we're saying Western is better, then are we saying that the Western approach to sexuality is, is better um, than, than what the African one was? Or is it just because the Western approach to things is more well-documented than ours, and so we don't, we don't even know that ours exists? I don't know if that makes sense. Um, I feel like well, I just so, rambled. No, no, no. I, I think that's good. Um, I, I think part, so part of what I've been thinking about is just legibility. Huh. So um, a lot of the people working, so I'd, I'd backtrack this by saying many of the people working for rights for women, for transgender, for gender nonconforming people, um, for sexual minorities across Africa um, often rely on they're often working against their governments right against government laws against government institutions if you're fighting patriarchy often you need some kind of international support or, or recognition or legibility so part of what happens is that the frame demanded um by western bodies and and, and these could be anything from the un to you know your local ford foundation to your whatever organization gives money or gives legal aid or whatever mm-hmm. that they often demand that you fit into the the frame that they understand mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right so that so that um sometimes it, it is that you're trying to make yourself legible in a space and to do that they, they don't they really don't have no they don't really don't want to listen to us they really don't want to listen to what we are calling ourselves or how we are thinking about things you know the grant is for gender based violence so if you want if you want that support if you want that legibility if you want the 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 legal support or the financial support or whatever other kind of support no matter what you're working on you know sometimes you have to go and just say yes i'm doing gender based violence yes i'm doing gay lesbian bisexual transgender gender nonconforming whatever because those are the frames that they are working with um so it's it's I think it's a difficult thing to navigate, right? On the one hand, you're sort of like, I want we want to affirm who we are. On the other hand, you're in such bad circumstances that you're also sort of like, we will take help where we can get it. Yeah. Um, and I, you know, so I think that's something that people are still trying to work out in some way. Um, but but I think it's it's a thing to think about the the ways issues are framed who's framing them and where the support is coming from and what that means for, you know, activism, but also for intellectual work. Yeah. Uh One thing I I want to mention that I don't think we really have mentioned a lot is the influence of religion. Oh my God. Yes. It's a very big big Western influence though. It's like, it's almost, it's almost, I'm Christian and I love Jesus, but it's like, the more I reflect on how religion has been, like how religion was introduced into to Africa and how it's just been, you know, used as a tool of oppression and erasure, it just enrages me. But talking about religion and how, like, it really has shaped, I feel, because now we don't, going back to our experiences that we shared earlier, like, we don't, 
really our first thoughts about sexuality aren't from like really cultural perspective they're more from like religious perspectives i feel mm. does anybody else feel that way i wouldn't say it's more what why wouldn't you i i don't i don't know that i would say that it's it's more because i feel like to say that it's it's more it's almost downplay to some degree that the amount of cultural ingrained um attributes i guess or 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 perspectives on on sexuality so i wouldn't say that because um that my christian faith growing up played a stronger role than the cultural ideas of what of what is sexual and what is what is ex- acceptable to be sexual for a man and acceptable to be sexual for for a woman so that's what i'm saying i don't know that for me personally i would say that cultural uh, faith was more than culture in defining for me what gender and sexuality is i think for me this is if i think for me i'm thinking of it as like again using kegro's analogy of seasoning I think religion, as it was brought to us, was seasoned with Western bullshit. And that, like, seasoning, like, that seasoning of, that packaging of religion has kind of then influenced our understanding of religion and culture. I don't know if I'm making sense. But essentially, like, the the Western, okay, let's let's wrap let's kind of tie this into a question into a into a question then um how do you think western erotic understanding of sexuality or western erotics and sexuality and gender differs from african understanding so for example now we spoke about like the patriarchal influence of western understanding of sexuality and gender and how like the phal the phallus is essentially king and it's emphasized and it's really the center of sexuality while in our own you know african history our ancestors it was like you know it was very matriarchal and very like centered around the vagina so like you know mm-hmm. there you know there are advantage. Well, I don't know if it's. I don't know if there's, there are any advantages of being phallocentric, but there definitely there are very. <laughs> there are definitely advantages of being vagina centric, and and mm. there are disadvantages of that too. In in the terms of mm-hmm. like erases non-binary people, I feel like we'll talk about yeah. that later. But um, yes, I don't know. I feel like I just rambled into a rambling. No, no, no. That that that's a good question. Can I can I can I suggest can I suggest something? Yes, please. Um, so part of what I've been trying to work on in my forthcoming book one day, um, is something that, that the, um, the Nigerian feminist Oyurunke Oyurumi has written about, which is, um, in her book, The Invention of Women, which if you haven't read that, it's a great book, read it. Um, and I've probably mispronounced her name because I cannot get all those tildes. I, I, I'm sorry. I'm sorry. I'm Kenyan, I'm not Nigerian, I will not get them. Okay. But one of the things that, that she talks about, and when we talk about Western influence, and I think this is really important, because I think this is the place where religion and science meet, right? Mm. Is that for many African cultures, gender um, was not natural. 
and what she means by this and, and, and what my own reading in anthropology and history has taught me is that many African cultures had rituals people went through. So you had a ritual that meant that you were a girl. You had a ritual that yeah. meant you were a young woman. Mm-hmm. You had a ritual that meant you were a woman, right? Mm-hmm. So that your identity, something that might be called your gendered identity, was always ritualized, right? Mm-hmm. So it wasn't that, oh, your breasts have come in. It was, have you gone through this ritual, which yeah. will confirm to you and to the community that you are now a girl, you are now a boy, you are now whoever, right? Mm-hmm. So part of what a sort of Western melding of science and religion does is, is what she says creates a biologic. So it's bio hyphen logic, which is it makes gender Gender, especially gender, natural or biological, right? It says that you're a girl because you've hit that tin and, and blah, blah, blah. These are your body changes. You're a boy because you've hit whatever and these are your body changes. So we lose a, a kind of African emphasis that, that, that gender and sex are not, are, are, are community things produced through ritual. And I think that's really important that that, that part of what we are always working against, and, and the reason I started with gender and sexuality as questions, part of what we're always working against is, is the idea of what's normal and what's natural. And part of what tap, what, part of what colonialism does, and what we call Western influence does, is to generate ideas of the natural and the normal through the, the meeting between science and religion. Mm-hmm. So that when you ask people questions about religion, uh, about gender or sexuality, at least in Kenya, their response is Adam and Eve or the Bible says, right? If you ask them again, they say things like it's biological. And then if you actually start doing real biology with them, you're sort of like, okay, let's talk about chromosomes and let's talk about what, what biologists right now have to have found out about how many actual configurations there are of chromosomes in that determine sex and gender. They don't want to know because, because they fall back then on religion. So, so part of what we're always working with is the idea of the normal and the natural, which, which for me are very, very Western ideas in, in, uh, as they exist right now. And I'm very interested in this, in this very African idea of what does it mean to say that it is a community, it's community recognition Mm-hmm. and community ritual that makes you legible as a certain kind of person. Because mm-hmm. I think that's very useful for activism. Yes, please. Here real quick. Yeah. So um, I remember um, in, in secondary school, you know, during Omena Lanyugo, which is basically Igbo culture, right? They, there's this idea of what's known as Irungbede for women and Iwakwa for men. Okay? Mm. So you saying this now, I'm wondering if a man... Or a young boy, a young Lynn, because I guess at that point he wouldn't be a boy, right? Mm. If he hadn't gone through, you know, those rituals. If he said, I want to do a room with it, I want to go to the fattening room, mm. what would the communal response have been? Ooh, that's nice. Someone want to answer that? That's a, that's a, that sounds like a novel. That sounds like a short story that should be written by someone. Yes, yeah, I better get on that. If he... <laughs> that would be... Okay. But I mean, I guess my question is, are we asking about if that happened now versus then? Then? No, I'm saying then. Because if communally, right, we're saying 
you don't become a man or you don't become a woman until you do these things. If a guy was like, I want to go to the fattening room, how would the community have looked at, at that? Right? Because then it will beg the question of, say, for example, uh, Oji, which is the colonel, right? A guy can eat or touch a colonel and a woman can't. So if a guy went through Irungbede, will he still be able to touch a colonel or not? Yeah, it's a, it's a good question to have. Yeah, it's a beautiful question. If I, I think I don't know if it was you that sent me an article about a community in is it the Dominican? Yeah, before a certain age, there's no gender assignment until mm-hmm. I don't know. They just I, I I I can't remember the details on the article, but this I feel like the answer to Onyeka your question. I don't know if I'm going to speak for myself. I don't know if I can answer that because I haven't done research. But yeah. it's it would be it would be best answered by somebody who's actually done research and can say before that that ceremony is there any assignment to gender? Yeah. Because right. now we're coming from a place of you're a boy and you say you want to do this. Is that allowed? Yeah. Like how does the community yeah. respond to that? Versus is it that before the ceremony, just a child? There's, you're just a child. And then you do the ceremony and this is what happens. But that would be, I wonder if there's research on that. Yeah. Wait, but, sorry, Onyeka, can you shed more light on those two? Um, so basically, what, I know Irungbede, like, is, so it's kind of like they, the girls go through a fattening room. I guess they also teach them, probably this would be where they would teach them about their bodies and mm-hmm. sexuality and things that are expected of them, I guess, as, and what as the women in that community. Through? And then the guys, it was the same thing. I know there was like some level of fighting involved, um, you know, to get them ready for hunting or, or any of those things. But I don't know the exact detail of how the rituals are done. Okay. Thank you. That's cool. And speaking about um, kind of the ritualistic transition that brings about the confirmation of gender or however you want to phrase it it just made me think about how like even in yoruba there is no we don't have gendered pronouns actually in yoruba we don't we just have like delineate delineation um that revolves around age so it's like you're either egbon or aburo so you're either older or younger so when i want to say my sister when I'm speaking Yoruba, I say my aburo because they're all my younger sisters. You know, there's no... So, like, really, like, if we really, really think about it and if there's more research and, you know, like, yeah. Gender was very... I don't know. Maybe gender wasn't super important as we... Like, they, like maybe... Maybe, like, maybe not important, but, like, was differently... Understood. Understood and differently. Yes. Yeah. 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 I don't know. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I was just I was like interrupting to argue with you. I was just trying to say, going back to like you specific to Yoruba, like mm-hmm. that is it's different in Igbo. So mm-hmm. this also ties into like Nigeria being a conglomeration of all these ethnic tribes that have so many different cultural practices, which speaks yeah. to why, I mean, and not that it's a is the right way to do things, but further for me makes it clear why, you know, my older people in my family are like, 
it's we want you to marry somebody from Anambra State because mm-hmm. the way we do things are the same. Mm-hmm. And it, that you know that speaks to something a different topic. But I was just going to interject <laughs> and say that you know the lack of pro, you know uh, gender pronouns in Yoruba. I don't, you know, it might be present in other ethnic languages, but I think for Igbo, it's different. But I, mm-hmm. I think that's just even interesting to yeah. point, that, point that out. Yeah. yeah, for sure, for sure. Okay. Oh, we've talked. This has been so juicy. And I feel like there needs to be like a part two or something. There's so much more to be said. <laughs> All right. So we've talked about sex and gender um, in like historical African contexts. My question is, my next question is like, how does our understanding or like the little knowledge we have, how does that, how how should we use that to understand gender now? Like, you know, what lessons can we learn? How should we move forward? Especially as it relates to minority genders, gender identity and sexual identities. Speaking about, you know, what is commonly known as the LGBTQ community, like how how should our understanding about our our ancestors and how they practice gender and sexuality inform how we understand and relate to and be in community with sexual and gender minorities? Um, So I I think for me, there are sort of two, two related things. One is that um, I think it's really important to emphasize that African communities um, across the continent were dynamic, mm-hmm. that they they learned and they changed and they met each other and they were in contact. Um, because part of what we have to work against is this idea that they were static mm-hmm. and, isolated. Um, and, and isolated, yes, right? So these are people who moved around and they met and, you know, they're sort of like, oh, you're attractive. I don't care where you're from. Let's get it on, you know, <laughs> so, so that... <laughs> So if we have an idea of them as dynamic, that helps us today, right? Because it means that we can say we can be like them. We can be dynamic. We can learn. We can change. We can adapt. And and, and then the second thing is, uh, you know, I get a little, um, I, I think the important thing is, is always to think about freedom, right? It's always to think about what is freedom, um, what is freeing. And, 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 I, and I have a very specific idea of freedom. Um, which is that freedom is not slavery, right? And freedom is a practice of care. Those are the two things. Freedom is not slavery. Freedom is a practice of care. So that the question about relation for me, it, no matter what identity you're talking about or what category you're talking about, is always how is this intensifying or helping or creating more freedom, which is always a practice of care, Right. Because I think if we if we if we don't see that as the goal, if we don't want to be free and if we don't want to be free caring for each other, then all the identity talk is, is you know, it's 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 not interesting to me. It, it's very sort of like eh, whatever, you know, might as well talk about ice cream. Ice cream is good. But, you know, um, I think when we're talking about other human beings who who are around us and who are in our lives, it's really important to ask is this helping? Is this a practice of care? Am I practicing care? Is this a practice of freedom? Am I creating more freedom? I, I think those are always the two most important questions for me, um, no matter what the identity is. Uh, so that I, I just wanted to say that 
I'm sorry, I didn't want to impede anyone, but I thought that that's really important to be said, yeah. that, that the goal has to be care and freedom. I, that's the goal I'm interested in. That's awesome. Um, I... So I think that's a very good anchor point for like how you relate to people and how you like, you know, how your personal personal ideology or whatever um, should start from freedom and, and care. And I think that's awesome. And but my, my question is like, yes, freedom and care, but like what practical tools can we give people? Like, do you understand what I'm saying? Like, how do we, mm. for example, combat homophobia and transphobia and like, how do we change how do we change minds? I don't know if mindsets is the, I don't know. Do you know am I making sense? Mm. I think your second question feels more answerable <laughs> <laughs> than the first. Um, and now I'm trying to figure out how to answer it. So I think this is why earlier when you said um culture having more of an influence than religion i was wondering why because when i think about today and how we react to sensuality sexuality um and gender at least from my perspective it's very knee-jerk reaction that is rooted in religion Mm -hmm. um there's this there's this reaction that isn't necessarily and i and i don't mean this to be to be uh demeaning or insulting but there's this reaction that is not even intellectual but it's very defensive mm-hmm. um when you ask about oh this person is sleeping with this person that is not married the judgment is immediately rooted in <laughs> she's going to hell or she's 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 doing it outside of marriage which is is being framed by the idea that marriage is the only way to go to do this in the right way because of religion. Um, And that being said, moving forward about combating transphobia and all other forms of phobias against the LGBTQ community, um, there's this and I'll just speak from the perspective of being Nigerian and what I've seen. There's this compulsive need to control what other people do. Mm, speak on and it. How oh. other people <laughs> do. Yeah, Thanks for gassing me, guys. I appreciate it. <laughs> <laughs> there's this need to decide what is good for other people. And, you know, this even plays in, like, how... We, parents, how we interact with people. It's like, she shouldn't be doing this. She shouldn't be sleeping with this person. They shouldn't be. We want to (laughs) make that decision for other people, how they should express themselves because of how it makes us feel. And there's this sense that how we feel is important. How even though it's not affecting our body in any way. So one of the things I'm thinking about moving forward is if it doesn't harm me or puts me and other people in danger, why should how somebody expresses express themselves make me so defensive? Um, yeah. And yeah, so just thinking about that. And the other thing I wrote down is I I don't have the experience of being part of the LGBTQ community. So one thing I think about is how they can be protected 
Mm. and how their rights can be protect- protected because I know on Brittle Paper who, you know we had the founder on mm-hmm. our podcast you know about a year or so ago on their online publication there was some there, there was someone um a Nigerian writer who is yeah who was kidnapped and he is I think he's queer um mm-hmm. and it's just like a very horrible story about before he was even kidnapped, like so much abuse and harassment mm-hmm. online from people who said he was going to hell, um, mm-hmm. he was of the devil, just different things. And just thinking about how that affects someone's psyche, how that affects, you know, that I, like, I can't even imagine moving on from that if that happened to me. Mm-hmm. Um, so just essentially protecting, you know, people like that and creating a space for them to speak on what they want moving forward. Um, so essentially mm-hmm. amplifying those voices. Mm-hmm. Um, Yeka, over here, and I think on a personal level, um, one, the realization that I'm constantly in a place of learning um, is extremely important. Um, recognizing that my voice is not the only voice that exists is, is completely important. So making myself available to listening to other perspectives um, and, and letting those perspectives challenge what my ideas of whether morality or just just what's, what's the norm for me um, is key. Um, another thing is this idea of criminalization mm-hmm. um, of people in, in, in these communities. And it's so funny. Um, <laughs> Africans are funny people. Um, Nigerians in, in particular, I think, because that's what I can speak from. Um, so you can have a 14-year jail sentence um, for for someone who, who belongs to that community or, you know, is, is homosexual or whatever. Um, but, you know, there isn't any repercussions for um, people who are out there cheating on their spouses because we, we believe that culturally um, one is more acceptable than the other. Um, and, and so if we're going to the faith argument, right, like, so if we're saying this is a matter of faith, then shouldn't then faith say that the same way that we're condemning someone who is homosexual will be the same way that we condemn someone who's committing adultery, you know, so. I just have two quick things to add. And just, you know, piggybacking off of Oyeka's last statement, it also speaks to this overemphasis on sexuality there's almost this uh i don't even like it's the big i don't even know how to phrase it but like it just goes back to like our prior topic about our understanding of sexuality and why we you know either our parents either tiptoe around it or completely avoid it at all there's this is this big I don't know, thing that has a lot of boundaries about, anyway, I'm rambling now. And then the second thing is that understanding that I'm not always right. Like, you know, people think that, oh, I'm going to say this is wrong and operate from that place of I'm right no matter what. I'm not going to bend Mm -hmm. and I'm not going to be flexible. It's like what I I understand is this is wrong and that's the end of discussion. Mm -hmm. So... That's that is all. Hmm. Okay, so um, this is Amayo here. Um, and I think, okay, going back to the discussion of culture versus religion and which has more of an influence, I think that's almost an unfair question because 
culture is tinged with religion. Like religion mm-hmm. can be seen as a part of culture. Mm. So to compare culture and religion, it's almost like, I don't know, like kind of like what everybody has said, um, religion has influenced our thinking, has influenced our ways of life. So I don't know. Yeah, we have to talk about this, about like, you know, the relationship between culture and religion anyway. So, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so, okay, how going forward. So I, so, okay. So I'm Christian, I'm Catholic, and there are things that I believe in that I know many people don't believe in, and that's fine. Like, I'm not trying to impose violently my beliefs on others. Um, But what I would say is, so my Christianity, my faith is based on justice and Mm -hmm. is also based on love. Mm -hmm. And I do not agree with people who say, oh, this person is going to hell because they're uh-huh. doing so, so, and so. I don't believe in homophobia. I think that in itself mm-hmm. is also a sin because who are you yep. to hate what God has created, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, so I don't believe in like this violence, this attack on people. And I, I think kind of like what if I, Mifema was alluding to was this whole, you know, it, it's like we live in a very hyper sexual society like all topics of sex and you know it's just like first of all it's taboo and then when it becomes an issue it's like just blown out of proportion like i don't know what it is i also think it's also because people are guilty of something so when somebody else is guilty of something else they just you know fire like attack attack (laughs) (laughs) which is just crazy so i mean like i said there are things that i believe in and those things are not going to change um but i think for me it's just a matter of how we treat other people people just more love when it comes to dealing with situations and um and for me there's also a gray area because you know part of my my faith is okay if you believe in something you also want people like if you think that's the in quote right way or the best way for things to be or if you know then you want other people to if you want people to do good and be good so you want to tell people about what you believe in you want people to you know so that that's for me that's my gray area it's like why would i let somebody i know or somebody who i've met carry on with what they're doing if i think it's like my faith or religion says it's wrong or whatever so then that's when i'm almost stuck okay do i say something do i not say something do i just stand back and so i mean that that for me is my gray area um yeah i think that's like definitely i think religion and um sexuality is a topic to be explored and yeah Mm -hmm. um um i asked the question and i kind of have forgotten what i asked (laughs) (laughs) but <laughs> <laughs> this is fair talking and i think for me how my approach will be moving forward is essentially challenging people's thoughts and perceptions and like you know stepping in the gap when underrepresented like sex sexuality and gender um, minorities aren't in the room and you know if somebody's saying something homophobic or transphobic and like kind of 
checking them and saying, okay, why are you saying, you know, let's get to the bottom of your reason. Like, why are you talking the way you're talking? This is what, you know, like, yeah, kind of orient, helping, helping orient people towards justice, justice, care, and freedom, as, as wow. Amayo and Kegura have said. So, like, orienting people's thinking towards those, the, those three ideologies. Um, what else was I going to say? And yes, for sure, amplifying voices. I kind of like, you know, yeah. And and I think the the being a public kind of inviting academics like Kegur or former academics, as he'll call it, <laughs> very former <laughs> into public discussions and having these like talks in public and sharing knowledge yeah. because like a lot of these things are in academic journals and like kind of inaccessible to lay people you know mm, right, so kind right. of mm-hmm. just bringing these conversations into our living rooms into our friendship circles into our dining tables and and having yeah. these you know possibly explosive but very important topics just important mm-hmm. discussions yeah so uh, um let me just add one thing you know um i, I think Again, I go back to what my friend Wamboy Mwanki says, which is that you start where you are, you start where you're standing. Um, and often when I hear discussions about outreach and, and so on, I, I, I get, I like them, but I'm also sort of like, okay, but what are you doing where you are? And, and I think, um, I've been reading a lot of Audre Lorde on, on, and, and she's, and one of her keywords is difference. And just whacking across difference. She does, she never says accept difference. Mm-hmm. That's oh. never ever, she never says accept difference. She never says celebrate difference. Mm. She never does. She says whack across difference. Mm. Oh. And, and I think that's really important, um, for different people of different faiths, for p- different people of different positions, um, different upbringings, different cultures. Just understanding that it's work, mm. right? You're yeah. not being, uh, no one is being asked to, accept um no one is being asked to celebrate i i think and i think when we use those words we we lose the fact that it's an active work right it is it is saying um i don't know i'm unsure i you know i'm i'm not very comfortable about um can i think about it um Maybe, can I learn more? So, so it's also just mapping your own place and understanding that it is about work mm. and, and that the work, the work is ongoing. No one, no one is there. You know what I mean? Yeah. No one, no one has reached that stage where they're sort of like, I fully accept everyone. And I think mm-hmm. if you say that, you're, um, you're lying. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? So, and I think making the work visible where you are and, but I think to do it in a way that the thing about working where you are is that often we understand where we are, right? Like there's a thing, you know, about your house, about your community, um, about your workplace, about your friends, about, there are things, you know, you know, which means there are ways you know how to talk about certain things, but you also know when to back off, huh. right? So you have all these strategies of managing. Um, and so when you work where you are, you're working with the best resources available to you, which is your knowledge, your history, your relationships. Um, and, and I think that's more important in the long run 
because you know I'd, I'd I'd like to more more people to do social justice work, but but I'm also very careful about about you know I don't want anyone to feel endangered. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't want anyone to feel. Um, I want them to actually sort of be like, I'm working across difference from where I am. And if I can do this extra thing, then I will do it. Uh-huh. If I can't, for whatever reason, and often, honestly, it's a, it's a safety reason. I, I, let me be very, it's very, very, you know, it's often about safety. Um, there are things that you can say certain places. There are things you cannot say certain places. And, and I think we have to be wise about this, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah. You don't, um, you know, I'm a feminist, I'm queer. Um, I have to tell you, if I if I'm if I'm in a room full of very patriarchal Kenyan men who have guns mm. or, or 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 sticks, mm. and they are they're looking to beat someone up, <laughs> I'm going to either walk out very very carefully, or I'll be quiet because we have to be we have to be sensible. We have to mm. you know we cannot live without our lives, right? That that's the thing. Um, so I think that's what it is. Start from where you are, um, and it's and and you know sometimes it's bold actions, but sometimes it's just it's just the sometimes it's really just knowing that someone is around who maybe you can talk to, um, and if you can do that, that's fine. If not, that's fine. Just just because we are working, we are working, and right? we work toward freedom. We practice freedom. We work across difference. That's the that's the work. If you want to do the work, you work across difference. Um, not about accepting, not about celebrating. If you can do that, great. But it's off, it's always just about remembering that it's that it's it's the working, it's the daily practice. Yeah, mm-hmm. that's that's important. I think. Yeah. I have like sorry to extend the conversation, or oh. um, but this is Ife talking about like working across difference, and it's like you know there's some people, there's some differences that I don't know if it can be worked across. I don't know how to mm-hmm. explain. You know, like if a if a flat earth truther is like, like how do you work across <laughs> that difference? Do you understand what I'm saying? Or like if you, yeah. if there's somebody that doesn't believe other people are human, like how do you work mm. across that yeah. difference? It's so I guess I, 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 don't, I don't, I don't think you do. Okay. I don't think you do. <laughs> okay. you, no, 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 you work across difference with people who are interested in freedom Aha, and in care. Yes. Okay. That's, that's an it. important distinction. Yes, yeah. Yes. Yes. Because, yes. because, you know, you know, so these people in America who are saying go hug a Nazi. No, no, you don't do that. <laughs> no, you don't. Listen, you don't. You know, if you're a black person, you do not go start hugging white supremacists mm-hmm. because they're going to kill you. Mm-hmm. They will kill you. Mm-hmm. This is not, it's not a joke. They will yes. kill you. You don't do it. Yeah. You know, so you know, you go find other people you can hug, but but not no no. no. <laughs> okay, okay, I think that's yeah. That that, that yeah. distinction helps me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Helps yeah. me um, take that in better. Wow. Ah, people, you've been amazing, amazing, amazing. Thank you so much, Kegura, for your brilliant insight, for your mm-hmm. um, the resources you sent us, for your time. We are very 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 grateful i feel like i should have another like last word of i don't know thing but anyway it's the end of the episode what we do at the end of the episode we do we recommend things or we say over reading watching listening so if you have any if you're reading watching listening to anything interesting that our listeners should also you know check in on um let us know amaya do you want to go first um, sure. Let's see, I'm not listening to anything new. Um, not watching anything. Oh, just finished watching Game of Thrones. What a tragic season. 
Um, not sure what the future holds for this series. <laughs> My fellow GOTers, I, let's just all stand in hope <laughs> and hope and pray that this, uh, this series ends on a good note because it's not looking good. This is Ifeyua, and I, <laughs> one of my best friends put me on to this band that's actually based in Kenya. Um, they're called um, <laughs> Salty Soul. Oh, and, them. Oh, yeah. Oh, he said, oh, them. <laughs> Wait, what does that mean? Is that an, an enthusiastic <laughs> them? Or... Is that shade? <laughs> we walk across difference. <laughs> oh my lord! My lord! You have to say more. You have to give a little more. No, not at all. Saudi soul are sort of like um, P square. You know. Okay. I mean, <laughs> you're shading P square now. <laughs> no, but I, I like P square. I'm just like waiting to see where this goes. No, I like P square. I, I think Saudi soul are, eh, you know. Okay. Okay. They're not alternative okay. enough. They're not, you know. Oh God, no, no. They're the most commercial people available. Okay. Commercial and uh, okay. and interesting. Wow. And, uh-huh. yeah. Yeah, well, we're getting we're getting more context from an actual Kenyan. Um, I mean, I just learned about them a couple of days ago, and yesterday started listening to their third album. Um, I think it's called "Live and Die in Africa," which I had a. Not really a problem, but I was like, mm, why is Africa spelled to the K? But so yeah, their third album, "Live and Die in Africa," and just the first song right off that album, I was you know moving my shoulders back and forth, and I was scattering the dance floor in my house. But yeah, I I really like their sound so far. I think on Wikipedia it describes them as Afro pop, which I guess I don't really know what that means, but. Um, yeah, I am enjoying the album so far. Hi, Yeko. I am currently listening to Rick Hassani's um, An African Gentleman album that just came out a couple of days ago. Um, so if you go on our Instagram, you'll see it. Fantastic. I love him so much. He's just amazing. I love him so much. Okay. Um, and watching, and I don't know if I mentioned this the last, huh? Is he Nigerian? He is Nigerian. This is his first album so yeah check him out as far as watching i started watching this youtube series called um everything in between um and so like after the first episode i was like wait are there themes i'm seeing like what and then i did some research and found out that it was created by tears nigeria which is the initiative for equal rights um, and so, yeah, you should, you should check it out. It, it has some very interesting. What's What does that mean? Um, so basically it's, hold on, let me, let me see what it says here. It's an, it's an NGO advocating for sexual health and rights of LGBT persons in Nigeria. Okay. Hmm. Um, nice. so yeah, they have a YouTube channel, so you can go check that out. It's an interesting show. Some of my favorites are on there. If you watch Skinny Girl in Transit, you might see some of your faves too. So yeah. See, I started watching that series because of you and Nika and oh. I wasn't that gripped oh. by the first episode. <laughs> but I will push through. <laughs> you just just do this. Everything, Everything in between. Um, 
everything in between. Okay. I was scared. Yeah. I thought it was about a skinny girl. I almost fainted. Uh, no, 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 no. no. <laughs> I, 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 not, I dare not bash that show on. Wow. You know, <laughs> I was ready to fight. <laughs> <laughs> Um, so this is Ife. I am currently reading Janet Mock's Surpassing Certainty. So Janet Mock is a black trans woman. She's an, she's a writer, she's a journalist, and she's an advocate of, of trans um, identities in, in America. So it's, it's essentially a story about her 20s. And I read her first book, which was Redefining Realness, which was amazing. This is also great. So it's just great to like learn about um trans people from their own perspective and their stories and yeah so that's what i'm reading and i am listening to daniel caesar shout out to bim adewome for the and like yeah daniel caesar is on my he's on my rotation he's on my rotation it's good it's good it's good um what else am i watching anything what did i watch last oh I, I, what I, 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 I thought to myself when I watched last night, I was like, I can't, this is just an intellectual watching. It's okay. But, it's um, so I watched the last season of The Bachelorette and I had a lot of thoughts. You should check out my Twitter for the thoughts and feelings I had about The Bachelorette <laughs> finale. But because I watched The Bachelorette and I knew some of the people who would be in The Bachelor in oh. Paradise, so I'm watching oh. Kind of a hot mess. I don't. If you want like mindless reality TV, then I guess. But I wouldn't say it's not. Some, it's not particularly a recommendation. So yes. Um, Kegaro, do you have any things you're reading, listening, watching? Um. Okay. So I. 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 I I'll bring the trash. I guess. Right. I am um insecure Ooh, yeah. because. Issa is, is my trash. girl. <laughs> Issa is my girl. Yes. Okay. So insecure. Um. And I and I, I have, so I have two songs on repeat. Just two songs on albums. Uh, Boda Kielo oh, because okay. Cardi B is my girl yes, because yes. you know, <laughs> you know, mm-hmm. I'm saying. <laughs> and then um, uh, Zebra Cats, who's got this great song called I'm a Read. And um, it's not about reading people, mm-hmm. and it's oh, it's okay. a, like it's like it's like That's house, fun. house, whatever. Um, it is so good. And uh, the last few days have been a little bit, you know, people have been a little bit annoying. So I wake up in the morning and I just put that on, and I'm like, I'm a read. Nice. I'm a read. I'm a read. I'm a read. I see it here. I'll listen to this after the episode. Awesome. Please, please don't listen to it. In, you know, if if it will offend your faith, please don't listen to it. I'm just saying. <laughs> I'm just saying. You have been warned. <laughs> I mean, I am in this world. I might not be of it, but I'm in it. <laughs> <laughs> oh, it this was awesome, awesome sauce. Thank you so much, Kegaro. Thank you, ladies, my darling co-hosts. Um... Yeah, so we will catch you on the next episode. Bye!